Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Fell. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we do something a little bit different. We talk to microphone designer and creator of the Alder Audio Ribbon Microphone, the H44. We'll speak with Tyler about starting off working with his dad and how it eventually led to creating this great microphone. As he describes it, it is a workhorse ribbon mic for any source. Don't forget to send in your holiday songs that you have, that you have recorded, or an original, and send those files off to wisconsinmusicpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get those on the holiday show coming up in mid-December. This week on Wisconsin Music Podcast, we have Alder Audio founder, Tyler Campbell, and he's originally from Wisconsin. He's over in Michigan right now, but he is creating probably the most heavy-duty, great-sounding ribbon microphones that are on the small market at this time. So, Tyler, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, um, telling the listeners, why don't you kind of give us uh, your music origin story? How'd you get like into music? You know, how it got you into creating microphones, and you know, just a little bit of information in your background. Sure, yeah. So um, I like that your podcast is like kind of Wisconsin-centric, and so I'll give you a little bit more Wisconsin in my uh, you know story there than maybe I otherwise would. So I'm from like near the Appleton area, went to Hortonville High School, and then uh, went to UW-Madison for college. And uh, I was just kind of always into music from a very young age, like always liked to sing and all that stuff. I was a band kid. I played trumpet, um, but I picked up uh, guitar really early as well in about fifth grade and, uh, you know, just had a couple good music influences in my world. And um, some of those influences introduced me to recording. So there was a, a lo- local group of like dads that had a, a blues band they called The Leftovers. <laughs> and uh, they, they played at uh, what used to be Frank's Pizza Palace in, uh, in Appleton. And uh, they would do these, you know, just very occasional, you know, uh, gigs there. And as a middle schooler, that was the first time that I like saw somebody play a blues guitar solo live. And it just kind of blew my mind. It got me all excited and things like that. And so, you know, that got me deeper into guitar. And and one of those guys wrote down the blues scales for me. And I was kind of off and running doing solos in my bedroom for hours at a time after that. Um, But then the same crew also knew a little bit about recording. So I didn't even know, you know, is it super complicated to record yourself? You know, how hard is is it to get into it? And they gave me a platform to kind of understand just by kind of watching what they were up to. 
um, that this is doable. So I then really wanted to try to record. I got like, um, it's like a Christmas present in high school, a Tascam DP-01, which okay. at the time, it's, I don't know if you're maybe familiar with the the unit, but it's kind of half crossover between, you know, and there were four track tape, uh, you know, recording units in between that and fully digital. It was like a, you know, a digital unit that you could record on. Okay. And so I started on that and have kind of always been kind of a bedroom uh, home studio music guy ever since. Uh, just always have enjoyed the idea of being able to record yourself. Um, and then there's kind of like a whole side story of my, that's my music background, but there's a whole kind of tinker background of uh, different things that led me towards building microphones. But as far as uh, music, that's that's the basic story. Right. And, um, and that other side story, from what I remember, your dad had a manufacturing company that did certain parts for um for motorcycles correct yes yeah and that business is still around it's in nina and my brother runs it now it's called leather pros and they make uh bags like saddle bags that go on the side of your motorcycle mainly for harley davisons and so my dad started that company when i was in fifth grade that's kind of like its whole crazy story in and of itself um, but, you know, I grew up in like summertime, like vacuum forming plastic molds and riveting parts and just, you know, have um, a lot of comfort in that type of environment, along with just the inspiration that like you really can with the right product in the right niche market, manufacture something still in the U.S. at a small company and, and have it be quite competitive if you do it right. Right. So, yeah. yeah so I had that kind of inspiration in my background um, and have have taken on many tinkery music projects uh, since then over time, and and the ribbon mic one is kind of the one that that stuck. So cool, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about those projects that kind of led up to the microphone. So, what other things were you tinkering on that that you felt wasn't quite the right thing that you wanted to do until you got to microphones? Yeah, well, I mean, I started just as like a you know as a guitar player. Um, I'm I'm a guitar player and singer, and and I do write music. Um, just you know myself I don't I don't perform out or anything like that but um, at the start I just wanted to replace my guitar pickups like that was a good you know entry level uh, into that type of thing and so um, that was still all the way back in in high school and uh, so my dad taught me to solder and we took apart my Epiphone Les Paul and you know put in the pickups that I had scoured the internet looking for <laughs> you know and and that was just a very fascinating experience um, uh, that actually, I'll tell you that that was a fun story at the beginning because the the pickups I bought are by a guy named Bill Lawrence, who actually isn't around anymore. He was in his seventies at the time, and he worked for Fender and Gibson as a pickup designer. And uh, he then created his own company, and they called it the uh, International Mom and Pop Shop. Bill Bill Lawrence Pickups. You can still find them, but they're like this very niche pickup brand. Okay. It, and I had called them with a question and Bill Lawrence himself was the guy who answered the phone. So I was nice. like 16 years old and this guy <laughs> talked to me for like an hour and a half online about or on, on the phone um, talking about pickups. And it just, you know, I've, I've had a couple of those little stories that, that have really gotten me into it. So that was um, fun at, at 16 to talk to yeah. a pickup designer from Fender and Gibson, uh, which was just totally unexpected. Um, but, uh, you know, I went from there to, I've tried projects over time that are a little bit more trying to put my spin on things. So one of the early things I did was I started rewiring guitars with all these crazy switching patterns, which I went first from 
what you might find commonly online, which is, you know, series and parallel switching or out of phase switching with your various pickups. And so I, uh, I started with that and then I moved to doing some other stuff. I've, I've probably rewired my, my common, I've got a Strat style guitar that I probably rewired like, I don't know, seven times or something <laughs> like that. And uh, the the last iteration was this crazy design with five single coil pickups and this kind of multi-rotary selector that the idea was to take five single coils and arrange them in such a way that you could get, you know, a set of Strat tones, a set of Tele-like tones, and a set of Les Paul-like tones all out of uh, out of one guitar. Wow. And um, but the the thing is, you know, that's a very very niche. You know, like yeah. the the there's no market for, you know, preloaded wired pick guards and things like that. So I I'd caught maybe this was a thing, but um, you know, it was clunky, it didn't sound good enough. It just it just it wasn't quite there. You yeah. Know? I hear and you. so then I've I've done uh, I've done some projects that have worked, some that haven't. So I I tried to get into acoustic guitar pickups, so I've built some of those, like your stick-on piezo type, and I've tinkered with those and never found something that I liked the sound of better than what you could buy uh, on on the market, so that didn't go quite anywhere. Um, I also, at one point, really got into hand pans. Have you seen these? Like, or mm-hmm. are they called the Han? Um, I think the the generic name they go by now is the hand pan, and it's kind of this rising uh, instrument. It looks like a UFO, like a flying saucer. Like it's a metal dome, um, you know, kind of clamshell, domed on top, domed on the bottom. And it sounds kind of, it's, you know, it's the kind of a similar uh, concept to a Jamaican steel drum. It's a singing, okay. a singing metal instrument. But every note is actually... Um, two notes in harmony so uh, it has this very it's very difficult to tune them because uh, every note that they hit is kind of a uh, is is really a chord it's you know mm-hmm. it's like a uh, two notes at once and uh so i had tried i had tried to like build a whole jig and ha- hammer out like those things I actually made a pretty good dome but i didn't have the skill for it like i just g- didn't get there in the end yeah and so, you know, but they say like the, the road to success is, is embracing lots of failure. So mm-hmm. I had, you know, lots of these projects that I always pursued to my own interest. And, um, then I had gotten my hands on my very first ribbon mic, which was just this cheap Chinese thing, had it for a while, didn't love how it sounded, but it kind of sounded different. And then I started reading online um, things that you can do to mod uh, ribbon mics. And so I was like, oh, I want to replace the actual aluminum foil inside of there. And then I wanted to wind my own transformer, which was quite a quite an, uh, feat to try to figure out how to do that. Yeah. And it was it was not very long after that at all that i was like oh i, I want to build one of these from scratch <laughs> you know so i you know i called up my brother in in nina at the the shop they have there and he's got a laser cutter so like we worked together to draw up the very first one which was just this incredibly you know like almost steampunk looking uh thrown together thing but it worked and it it actually sounded quite good right off the the first try and so that's what that's what started the ribbon mics it was quite a road but right uh, right right you know, it just clicked you know and sometimes that's all it takes it's just you gotta keep trying different things until all of a sudden like you said it just this is the thing that i want to really be passionate about something that i really want to be a part of the creation of yeah yeah you know sometimes even amongst like artists and stuff like that you talk about I don't know. I even feel like there's some similarities with writing music where part of it is push. 
like uh, songwriters will say, like just commit to writing a song a day and stuff. And I do think that that's good. But then there's also a side that's kind of muse, you know, it's kind of like when you write a really good song, you don't feel like you wrote it. You kind of feel like you discovered it. Mm. Um, and I feel like that there's kind of a, a duality to that. And it was definitely a duality with, with building this ribbon mic company is that it was a lot of push over time to try to work and figure things out. But then when I landed on it, it was more like discovering something than, than designing yeah. something. Yeah. So like how many um, failures did you have while you were creating your microphone till you got to where you are now with them? Well, I mean, as far as straight up failures, not, not that many because, you know, that first one worked. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe not failures, but, um, prototypes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, many prototypes. And so, you know, I do, I do Alder full time now and I, I make all the microphones myself still. Um, so that's, it's kind of the size of the thing. Um, but when I was designing it, I was working a full-time job and designing microphones and I probably went through, I don't know, at least, at least 20 variations on the design in that first year, um, okay. while I was still, still, uh, working. And it's like, how long is the ribbon? How fat is the ribbon? Uh, how do you hold the magnets? How do you wind the transformer? Like, uh, there's just a lot of physical design that goes into how a microphone sounds, which to me is super fascinating. Like it's, it's one level of fascinating to learn plugins and mix things and like, you know, being in a, in a, in a digital audio workstation where you can, you know, intentionally raise the highs and the lows. But when you find out like I've narrowed the, the, the width of this one part inside of the microphone and now it sounds different, and yeah. that's much more of like a geometric design and kind of nuanced uh, craft. Uh, that that just excites me. It feels more like you know designing acoustic an acoustic guitar or something like that. And so I did a lot of that work with the ribbon mics, and I had started with, I started with like Dremel cutting them out of, of like pipes, you know. So I get like pipe stock from the the hardware store and. The, the difficulty to start at the start was putting caps on them. Like I'd put a cap, uh, yeah, I, I just used pipe caps and then we'd okay. drill through them and like put an XLR jack, jack on a pipe cap. And then I, and then the, I had a big step of buying a 3d printer. And so then I could 3d print uh, parts much faster and make the custom things. Um, I taught myself CAD uh, for the project. So I didn't, I didn't know wow. it before. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, you know, this is pretty far away from, you know, the content of your podcast. But it's kind of a universal thing, too. I told myself I wanted to learn CAD for years, never did it, and then I needed to learn it in order to get something done, and then I le- it was really easy. So I feel like that that's almost like learning an instrument, too. It's like yeah. you could say, I really want to learn drum kit and not do it, and then have a song you're recording that you want to play drums on yourself or, or something like that. It's very motivating. Right, right. You and know? for listeners, CAD is kind of like the online or not the online but the the visual create you know like you create something in space you know like like you said like the housing for a microphone or any kind of you know kind of thing that you want to get 3d printed where that's compared to in the music would be kind of like our daw where we create different you know samples or whatever and we create yeah, yeah. And mix songs and stuff yeah yeah so i yeah i had to learn that but i could dream up a shape in my head draw it with the program and then print it all in the same day. 
Like it's amazing the tools they have these days. Yeah, like it's nuts. Th- yeah, you can you can design something so fast today that that you know in the past you take months just to create the physical object. Um, so that allowed me to go through a lot of ideas really fast with prototypes. And um, the the, what, the big thing that allowed me to make them a lot faster was I uh, I put in a custom order at a laser cutter. So uh, there a special laser cutter that can cut tubes. So okay. I got a batch of the actual tubes. That was the hardest part for me to create. And then I could just put the guts inside of the tubes, you know, a lot faster and make those a lot faster. Um, I should say that along the way, so. Um, I discovered things. Uh, the the microphone does have a patent on it that has had is you know kind of officially come through now, which is really cool. Um, and part of that patent came from the three D printing story uh, because ribbon microphones are, are really fragile. Mm-hmm. The, there's aluminum foil inside of them, and like you can break it just by blasting it with air. Like you never use a ribbon microphone in the port of a kick drum because there's so much air coming out that you can damage it. And um, through the 3D printing world, there's these special gears that, that, you know, you'd have to Google it and you'd immediately understand it, but they're called herringbone gears. And it's like, it's like a gear, but it's uh, V-shaped all the way up. So it's like got an angle in the middle of it, but it's still okay. a gear. It's kind of, kind of a wild thing. But uh, I, co- I was the first one to ever corrugate a, a ribbon mic uh, element with one of those gears and it adds a lot of strength because now you have a bend in like two directions at the same time. And, um, so I was able to get a patent on that as well as some other aspects of the, the ribbon mic. So it all kind of like just kept on building on itself. Like I got the 3d printer just to make design ideas, but then learning 3d printing taught me something else that then I could, you know, tack on and actually use in the mic that was beneficial. So, um, yeah, the whole, the, the whole time it had been, kind of doors felt like that they were falling open as it was going and it was it was sounding really good it was you know getting really good feedback and so um i you know i actually didn't start it thinking i really want to make a company out of this yeah but there was a point that it got to where it was like you know this kind of wants to be out in the world there's it's unique it sounds good and and so uh, we decided to go for it have you um now that you've kind of gotten it down to a science about how you want these microphones made have you gone back and put like a regular style ribbon in there to hear if it sounded any different than the herringbone style yeah well you know to be honest right from the start i I have um but right from the start i was really hoping to get some kind of audio benefit from that different corrugation i thought maybe there would be like um different harmonic frequencies that you know didn't resonate at the ribbon or something like that because it was corrugated differently and i have detected no differences whatsoever um, which was a surprise to me because it's like the ribbon is physically like it bend it doesn't bend as easily. Yeah. But I think what I've discovered with the uh, the microphones is that the the motion of the ribbon inside the microphone is d- is dominated by how heavy the ribbon is, like the mass of it, how thick it is, not necessarily like the springiness of the tension, because I've got a whole like. I can do my own frequency sweeps now. I, you know, built my own setup to to frequency sweep every single microphone that goes out the door. And um, people have asked that question. So I've done frequency sweeps of like regular corrugated ribbon, herringbone corrugated, and there's just like virtually no difference, which was quite surprising. Right. And, but since it is that uh, herringbone design, it is much stronger. And, and I've seen the video on your website where you kind of turn it upside down and let the head hit 
Yeah, hit I the tabletop. It. Yeah, and you know, and everybody who knows about ribbon mics, that's gonna pretty much kill the mic. Pretty, you know, if you drop it enough times, it's gonna kill kill that ribbon real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't. I, I tell people, you know, it's it is there is still a fragile piece of aluminum in there, but uh, I've I've been able to like measurably see that uh, it, it takes drops better. It just stays more stable, which honestly for me. I just felt better about it because it's scary sending something fragile out there into the world mm-hmm. as a business. And so for me, it just gave me the confidence that I wasn't going to be getting like a ton of returns or a ton of like, you know, they get damaged in shipping or something. I did lots of studies to find out. I, I've had some damage in shipping and then I did a whole shipping study and found a way to, to ship them that is, is super stable. Like they can, I can drop them from like fifth, uh, six feet in the air and then I unbox them and open it up and like the ribbon's still fine. So nice um, very nice yeah, yeah especially if people are when they want to go and order one from you um they knowing that it's that well packed that they feel that you know the money they're spending is you know, hopefully they're not gonna have to return it because you know someone dropped it and the ribbons you know got broken or whatever yeah that's a thing with people in ribbons they're kind of scared of them and stuff so the other thing i've done which you know i, I guess it isn't really out there on the website it's, it's, it's buried in the frequently asked questions page, but I'm trying to keep any repairs super low. So if, if anybody ever does three years down the line, you know, their ribbon gets, you know, like dropped off a, a truck or something like that and, and they do really damage it and need a new, new ribbon, um, you know, other companies, that's like a hundred bucks just to get the ribbon replaced. And so I, I right now do that for 20 bucks and it's like, we're not making any money on that. We're probably losing some money on that. But it's like a subsidized thing as a as a service of support to the people who have the microphones out there, rather than uh, trying to make any money on repairs. Right, right. To, to try to allay that fear. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, for listeners, I have received two of these microphones um, from Tyler, and um, when I first plugged them in, they worked just fine. So um, there should be no worry at all about shipping uh, these mics to you because like you said they're packaged very very well yeah yeah i've looked into that and another thing about ribbons is that sometimes for me at least uh, as an audio engineer on the side is that um some microphones ribbon microphones need a boost like um there's another company out there that has like the cloud lift for their microphones Mm -hmm. yep have you does your microphone need something like that? Or have you been thinking about make, creating such a outboard box f- to boost the signal of the ribbon microphone? Yeah, so um, a lot of people like a booster on, on ribbons. And I'll say mine is like, it's not a terrible output by any means, but like amongst ribbon mics, like it's, it's probably in the lower half of outputs. Um, and so... Um, it's actually um, very close to the output of an SM58, uh, like your common uh, Shure microphone. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that if you're close up on it, so if you're going to put it like on a vocal like I'm using right now or like up on an acoustic instrument or you're on drums, you're not going to need any booster at all. But if you want to do it as like a room mic, which you can and it'll sound good as a room mic on like softer sources, then you will probably want a booster with this mic. Um, and the output is kind of like a nature of how it's designed. Like there's a trade-off with different things on how how um, hot the output can be versus other design considerations. And so I designed it to to sound the way I wanted to. 
And then, um, you know, if people use it for like quiet and softer sources, some of those boosters do help. Um, but I'll say they're, the boosters are getting really good. They're, they're cheap. They're clean. Like, you know, you got some of the, the more popular brands like Cloudlifter kind of, um, was the one who was out in the front, but then there's a different one called the Fethead that people like, and now they're getting really common where there's a number of other ones out there. Um, and so it, it's just a good tool to have. The other thing with a mic booster, this is probably too, too technical, but it lets you dial in your preamp to where you want it instead of where you need it to be. Right. So if you want to dial your preamp down a little bit and it gives you some clean gain to kind of just be more flexible. So it's always a good tool to have with, with pretty much any ribbon mic. It's always good to have uh, right. uh, any, any passive uh, ribbon mic. So, yeah. And, um, now for me, I have an, um, an outboard preamp, which has an impedance dial on it. Now, how does impedance, cause there, there might be some listeners out there might be interested in how impedance affects a ribbon mic. So is there an easy way you can explain that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the very short version. Um, because, uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but I did like a very long version of impedance and I put it on my YouTube channel. So I, I did like a 20 minute talk on it because I feel like it's not, it's, it's sometimes very confusing online, but the very short version is that every microphone has like an output impedance number. And all you need to know is that if you know, then, then whatever you plug the microphone into has an input impedance number and some people get confused like what do they need to match you know or how does it affect things usually you want the input number to be quite a bit bigger than than your microphone output number so like uh the output on the the h44 here is 400 ohms and so a rule of thumb is that, you know, five or 10 times is always a good idea with your input impedance. And so, um, you know, up to 4,000 ohms of an input impedance will, uh, will kind of work well with the mic. Now, the thing is, you can go less than that. Like uh, if you've got preamps with selectable um, uh, options, uh, and what, what it'll do if you start to go less is it'll, it'll trim out a little bit of low end. And sometimes that's beneficial. And so with, uh, with the H44, uh, sometimes that's a little beneficial, even if people don't have quite that 5X or whatever, they might actually prefer it in an interface with a little less impedance. Okay. So I don't know, maybe not quite as, uh, as short as I would have liked, but if no, you but want the long explanation, yeah. go to my YouTube channel. Right. Yeah. That, that works. And one, to follow up on that, one little thing is that you said as you get, as you turn the impedance down, it gets less low end on it if you turn it up is it going to increase the low end it's kind of like an asymptote you know oh, okay. like as it's kind of like gets to a certain point and then it'll just like stay and so and then it so if you start turning it down and you'll it'll take a while to, to hear it but um it, you'll, you'll start to get a little less low end but it might be a little tighter as well and so uh, it's kind of an interesting tool for audio engineers to, if you've got like a variable impedance on either a preamp or some of the mic boosters that you just mentioned have a variable impedance on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, the variable impedance can be like a cool tool for like dialing in a tight low end. You can kind of uh, mess with that to, to get what you want out of it. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Now you also have two versions of this microphone. Mm -hmm. uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the differences between the two? Sure. Yeah. So um, the original design, I just call the H44. Um, but then 
that design has different sounds from the front and the back, which I'll, I'll get to in a second. But for some people, they really are wanting to use the mic more in a, in a stereo situation. So either you have this technique mid-side where you kind of put it on the side and you're listening kind of like ears on the side. Um, or they have something called Blumline, which is just kind of like, you know, you put two microphones in like an XY pattern um, to record. And so if those are really high on your list, you may want a mic that sounds the same from both sides. And for those people, I created what I call the H44S for symmetrical. So the symmetrical mic is the same voice on both sides, which is also just about exactly the same as the backside of the original uh, H44 design. And the reason I picked the backside was that the backside is kind of the more standard ribbon mic sound. Um, they're, they're not like hugely different from each other, the front and the back of the, the H44. Um, but the backside is what people tend to use mostly on like drum recordings, guitar recordings, a lot of instrument recordings, um, things like that. The front side, uh, there's some geometry differences to the capsule, or I suppose it's not a capsule, it's like a transducer. Um, but uh, it's really designed for vocals. And so there's some people that you know, would really like the versatility of like having it on vocals and other things. And then there's some people who would, who would say, Hey, I'm not going to use it on vocals. And I'd really prefer that, you know, stereo recording flexibility. So that's, you know, what's more important to you versatility or, you know, the, the, the symmetrical stereo response. Right. Right. Yeah. Is there like a f different frequency response with the vocal side compared to the back side? Is it like a little bit brighter or what's the difference between the two sides? Yeah. You know, everybody asks that and I have, struggled over time to describe the difference like even my website description has changed a couple times over <laughs> like I've written the the product description differently because uh, I'll tell you actually when I measure the frequency response we actually measure it in a controlled situation which is like a certain distance from the speaker you know it's, so there's a lot of there's a lot of constraints in a standard frequency response measurement um, they measure nearly identical in, in a frequency response, but they do sound different, uh, very, mm. you know, noticeably different to the ear. And so what I say is that the front with the vocal, it just has like a kind of a presence and a punch to it that I appreciate on vocals. Like by comparison, when I would use either the backside of the H44 or I would like shoot it out versus a standard ribbon mic, there's something about normal ribbon mics on vocals that can just sound kind of unexciting and, and dull. Like it doesn't pop like a vocal mic should. And um, I discovered this one thing in design that's kind of this uh, little geometry kind of configuration where um, it just gives you that punchy edge to it. And it, it tends to work really well in closer proximity. So one other thing I use it for is like, if I'm close miking an acoustic guitar, I might prefer the front side with that like kind of uh, focus to it. The back side in comparison sounds like more natural and open. So that's my, my best uh, um, description of it. But it's not like the difference between the front and the back side is like a dial that I turned. It's it's physical, you know, the sound has to curve differently around the microphone, okay. you know, at the front versus the back. So it doesn't do just straightforward, predictable things. It sounds different in different situations, and it's something you kind of get to know as you use it. So is it a different ribbon, or is it a different physical 
other part that makes it different it's uh, uh, different parts in the in the okay. link yeah okay. so uh there's kind of an additional you know i won't get into the physics of sound but like sound is fascinating it bends all over the place and reflects and absorbs and stuff and we're kind of like manipulating some of those forces to so that the the ribbon looks different to the sound from the front than the back gotcha cool. yeah yeah it's it's a fascinating thing it's you know i've always wanted to learn how to you know, learn how to read schematics and do electronics. I just never got around to it yet. Hopefully, maybe in my later years, I'll do it when I'm retired or something like that. Because I always find it yeah. fascinating to be able to create things like this. I just never really had the priority or the time yeah. to do it yet. You, you got you to gotta have the right project. I'll tell you, I've got a guitar pedal sitting here. that I, I, It's been sitting in my uh, my office for, for like months and I've never finished wiring it. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that'll build guitar pedals these days. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why the guitar pedal doesn't get me going. I love them. I love guitar pedals. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the mic is the project that grabbed me. And that one. Right. So, I don't know. You can't, you can't account for these things. You know, no, like uh, no. things, things kind of grab you and you got to kind of sail on the wind when it's there. Exactly. So, exactly. so um, those that are interested in learning more and contacting you, um, why don't you give them the information on where they can find these microphones? Sure. So the best place is alderaudio.com. So it's A-L-D-E-R, like the the wood that uh, Fender guitars are made out of, alderaudio.com. And I sell them all direct there. So I try to, um, you know, price them really well because I sell them direct, you know, in comparison, other U.S. made uh, microphones are like over a thousand bucks and mine's 400 bucks. Um, I really wanted to put it in the, the home studio budget. So I've worked really hard to do that. And that's part of the whole direct sale thing. Um, but then other places you can find me is just Alder Audio on uh, Instagram. I, I do have a Facebook page. I'm not over there much, but if you want to send me a message on Facebook, you can find me under Alder Audio as well. And there's also a YouTube channel that's uh, just Alder Audio. So it's a pretty unique name. So you Google yeah. it, you can find me pretty easily. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, and I'll put all that information in the show notes as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about before I let you go? No, I'm just uh, happy to be here. Happy to spend some time and. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Tyler. It was a pleasure talking to you about your microphones. They sound fantastic. I sent you a couple clips of me playing saxophone on it, comparing it to a, a tube microphone, and you know, it, I think it's, it sounded much better than the tube microphone. I I really liked how it sounded. I was like, I always get a little worried when people do shootouts. I was like, oh, how's it gonna fare? And then I was like, <laughs> yep, it did good. So <laughs> cool, cool. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for being on, and we'll talk soon. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks. And that's it. Cool. All right. Um, I will get that microphone sent off, like I said, today or tomorrow, and yeah. um, and then we'll go from there. Um, I already started trying to put an un- unboxing video together, so I'm still working oh, on cool. that. So once I get that put together, I'll send that off to you before I I post it. Yeah, that that's great. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. All right, All right man. Have a great day, and we'll talk soon. It sounds good. You too. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed that great conversation with Tyler, and if you're interested in any of his microphones, go check him out over at alderaudio.com. A-L-E-R-A-U-D-I-O. Once again, don't forget to send in any holiday songs that you have recorded, either traditional or original, and send them off to Wisconsin Music Podcast at gmail.com with holiday showcase. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook.
Facebook under the name of Wisconsin Music Podcast. Also, we want to a little bit extended version on YouTube, so check us out on YouTube as well. And you can hear differences between the Elder microphone and my pair of the Bell Talk again.